This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, hey... Who has seen the Princess Rab before? Who has not? Raise your hand. If you haven't seen it, it probably was like, what on the world is going on here? But you have to see it. Probably one of the greatest movies ever made. Am I, am, I'm just not, I, now, I always say a movie is the greatest movie ever made, right? Probably I'll say that 10,000 more times before when I'll be here. But that movie is a great movie. Nevertheless, in that particular scene, uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts actually spared uh, Wesley. And Wesley became the Dread Pirate Pirate Roberts. But nevertheless, um, in that scene right there, he came back fronting like he wasn't who he really was or something or other. But the point is, he was upset. He was testing her. He was trying to figure out why did she not remain faithful to him despite his absence? Why wasn't he, why wasn't she faithful despite him not being around? She said, you, well, you you were dead. And his response, does anybody remember, was that not, say it again, death cannot stop true love. Now, 
whether you know it or not, that's actually a depiction of the gospel. Jesus Christ is gone, but he has promised that he is coming again very soon. And he requires one thing of us, one thing more than anything else is our faithfulness. The issue is, do you love Jesus Christ? The issue is, do you really believe that he's coming back? He loves you, he's died for you, and he is coming back soon. Now, he expects us to act, not that he's distant, but he's very much present in our lives. That's why he's given us his Holy Spirit. And because we have the Holy Spirit who whispers to us, who guides us, who counsels us, who leads us, he expects us to act very much as though he's present with us because he is. But the problem is many people don't live as though he's there. It's almost like... It's a justification to be unfaithful, to not be dedicated, because out of sight, out of... But Jesus Christ asked us to remain faithful, and that's what gives Him pleasure. I have a lot of content in a short time to get it all in, but I love today's message. We've been going over the book of Revelations for the past couple of months, and today we're going to talk about a special church. Now, understand that each church in the book of Revelation has a name that is explicitly important to understanding what the message was supposed to be communicated to that particular church. Not only the name of the church, but also Jesus' title. So every book in Revelation regarding the first church, seven churches that are addressed, Every single church, whether it's Sardis or Smyrna, or it doesn't matter, Pergamon, doesn't matter the name, every single one name conveys something about that church. And Jesus Christ also, in the letters, gives himself a very specific title. And that title itself also conveys something very specific about what Jesus is trying to communicate in the message. So today, we're going to jump in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. I'm going to pray, and we're going to start. Father God, give me wisdom in the brief time I have to hear and speak your words in a way that gives you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, we're going to talk about the church that every single person, when they go over the seven churches of the book of Revelation, thinks they are. <laughs> Everybody thinks, oh, yes. We are the church of Philadelphia. Why? Because they're one of two churches of the seven that doesn't have a rebuke. Jesus has nothing negative, nothing harsh, no rebuke to this church of Philadelphia. But also their combination, their, their, in a sense, there's rewards that they get because of their faithfulness. Only two churches get these rewards. Now, we talked about a mystery. Why did Jesus pick these seven churches? During this day and time, right before the temple was destroyed, we think the book of Revelation was written, there are hundreds of churches that are in existence at that time. We know the Roman church is in existence. The church in Antioch is in existence. Also, there is a church in Jerusalem. But none of these churches are of the seven churches that were chosen to be written about. He picks these churches for a specific reason. They're all in Asia Minor, and they're trying to say something very specific to us about us and for us. Unknown author said the reward of being faithful over a few things is just the same as being faithful over many things. We talked about these seven churches. Here John is writing from the Isle of Patmos, getting a revelation of Jesus Christ to the seven churches. And these churches, which are almost in a horseshoe shape, 
Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. All these churches also have a different meaning. Ephesus also means what? The desire church. Smyrna means the persecute or means to be crushed. And, and since imminent emanate a fragrance. The Pergamon church meant mixed marriage. They were also married to the world and trying to be married to Jesus. Thyatira was the daughter church. It was the Jezebel church. The church that in a sense had a, a prophetess who was speaking openly against necessarily the teachings of Jesus Christ. We go on here, the, the church of Sardis, which actually had no name, but it had an outward appearance as though it was a living and vibrant church. But Jesus said it was what? dead. Now today we're going to talk about the church of Philadelphia. And I think everybody knows what Philadelphia means. Can I get it? Philadelphia means brotherly love. Philo, love, like, Delphia, brother. Love of brother. Now this church was founded by an individual who was the king of this city, Pergamum. His name was Atlas. And he loved his brother so much that he actually built him a place of abode, a city, Philadelphia. Because he loved his brother, that, in a sense, is the name of the city that this letter is written to. We got one more church to go. We'll be done with the book of Revelations for a while. We'll jump back here in a couple years. But nevertheless, this is the one I think everybody will like. For me, being married has been a challenge. Can I get a witness on a low key? See, don't you raise your hand too fast and your wife saw you. We'll pray for you tonight. <laughs> you raise your hand too fast. Being married is difficult. It takes work. There are people who have an idealistic perspective regarding what marriage is. They say, oh boy, once I get married, then all my needs would be met. And married people try to say, wake up. That's not right. <laughs> That's not real. That's not how it is. Marriage is hard. Now, the challenge is with today's age, we believe marriage is supposed to give us the ultimate happiness. But marriage is not designed to make us happy. It's designed to make us holy. Marriage is not designed to make us happy. I say it twice because I didn't even get a hmm. It's designed to make us holy. Amen. Those problems are designed to make you to get on your knees. And say the one prayer that everybody who's been married says. Oh Lord. Help me. That's what marriage does. Sometimes we have a misperspective or a misconception, a wrong perspective of what we thought marriage was going to be and how it actually plays out. It doesn't mean you won't be happy, but happiness comes and goes like the wind. Happiness is based on circumstances, or based on things kind of working out the way you expected them to work out. Based upon how you expected your husband to come in as he had a hard day at work and see you and go, oh, baby, I only thought about you all day at work. 
And now that I see you, just give me a kiss. Oh, forget every, I'll take care of the kids. Go sit on the couch. Now, this, I'm in my head right now. Go sit on the couch, and I'll, I'll take care of everything. I'll take care of the kids. I'll do their homework. I'll cook dinner. I'll rub your feet. Preach, pastor. Because when I get married, I'm going to spend hours upon hours of looking into my wife or husband's eyes, just staring and them telling me how beautiful I am, how handsome I am. Then we're going to go on trips around the world. We're going to travel together. We're going to have the best cars, the best house, and the best neighborhood, have the best homes. And then all of a sudden, the alarm clock goes off. Wake up. What is that? What was that? That wasn't real. But despite how much we miss our expectations by marriage, God expects us to be faithful. Marriage is simply a symbolic representation of the church's relationship to Jesus. That's the only point of marriage. You don't need to get married to have kids. You don't. That's, you don't you're going to have kids outside of marriage. Biblically, the point of marriage is God's means of preaching the gospel. And God is trying to tell the world that if you trust me, you can be my bride. And God says, you have an expectation that your husband or wife can just meet all your needs. And Jesus is like, I can do that for real. I can meet every single need you have. For starters, you want to live forever? Trust me. Live forever. You want to have abundant living? Trust me. You'll live a life you've never dreamed. But in order to receive that, he requires us to be faithful. Even when times are tough. Revelation 3 Verse 7, it says, and to the angel, the church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia was a a rich area, a prosperous area, an area we love to be in, but it had consistent earthquakes. As a matter of fact, in AD 70, it had an earthquake so bad, the entire city was ransacked, almost destroyed. They needed help from the different leaders of Rome to get money or to reduce taxes. They could rebuild their community. But it never got back off the ground the way it once was. So the issue is the area is not necessarily poor, but it's not prospering. They made their money off of wine. They had a lot of grapes in the area. Because of volcanic activity, there was a lot of fertile land in the area. But these, in a sense, things that blessed them, the fertile land also cursed them because of the earthquakes. What happened eventually is there was a, a Roman Caesar who came to power who, in a sense, wanted to eliminate competition regarding wine sales. So he tore up all the vineyards in this area, in Philadelphia. And they had no means of making income at that point. They felt betrayed. They felt hurt. They lost their prosperity, but they remained faithful. Eventually, the place of Philadelphia because of its geographical location, became a gateway, a mission hub of the Greek culture to the rest of Asia. This place was strategically located, and God used it strategically as well to spread the gospel. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, now, this is Jesus giving his self his name. 
These things says he who is holy. The word holy is a word we don't use a lot in church anymore because it scares people away. But all it means is set aside. I don't know if you had a house like I had a house growing up. But in my parents' house, we had one room called the living room. Now, you can go to the family room. In our house, the family room was downstairs. But the living room was upstairs. And in the living room, it had a good couch. I don't know if you had a good couch like my parents, but you know what? We couldn't sit on the good couch. We couldn't even look at the good couch, right? And I'm a little boy. I want to play on that thing. It's huge. My toys could be in there. Oh, that's heaven. But that couch was holy. Can I get an amen? Some of y'all had the plastic on that couch, right? <laughs> we were there. Nevertheless, it was still holy. So we had to look at it. Ooh, one day. And as soon as my parents left, you know what I did? Ah, I jumped on top of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the holiness on me. It was just set apart. It wasn't common. Jesus Christ is trying to communicate his essence. He's not like anything else. He's holy. He who is true. It's almost like I'm not a good uh, person. I can't shoot arrow, compound bows, any of those things. I I could pull back and let it go, but who knows where it's going to go. I went to a gun range one time, and I shot the clip holding the target up. They said, leave it. I never went back. So I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm just saying I understand it. True means you, you point in the direction, and it goes where you're pointed to. Jesus Christ is true. He's to be trusted. When he says something, you could put it in the bank. Now, he's giving these credentials of himself. He's giving himself these attributes because there's some difficult times coming. He's going to say, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. The reference here is to Isaiah chapter 22. There was an individual who was a steward of Israel. His name was Eliakim. He took the place of a bad steward, but he was a humble man. He wasn't a great man. But because of humility and faithfulness, God entrusted him with the ability to be the steward of all of David's resources, much years after David was gone. And the reason why he was given that opportunity, because he was a good man, a faithful man. Here, this reference is to that man. When the steward has the keys, he can open the door to the resource and you have access to it. And when he shuts it, you're not getting these resources, these accesses. He's saying, this is David. This is Jesus referencing. He is the one who has the resources to David. And this is referencing the promises given to David. He goes on and says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. No one can shut it. Why can he do that? Because he's the steward. He's the one with the key. For you have a little strength and kept my word and have not denied my name. Now he's saying good job. He's saying well done, but he says it in a way he didn't say it in the church of Smyrna. The church of Smyrna simply had to be faithful during persecution. But Jesus is saying good job to the church of Philadelphia for another reason. Why? Because they did something amazing. It says, for you have little strength. Now, you have to understand God to realize what he's saying right here. 
Too many of us think because of our own intellectual ability, our own physical prowess, our own emotional intelligence, we can run God's kingdom. We can do God's will because of our gifts, our talents, our attributes. He's saying the exact opposite right here. He's saying, see, I've set before you an open door. And he's referencing heaven. And no one can shut it. You're good. Why? For an explanation, there's a clause. You have a little strength. You're aware that you're dependent on me. Too many people do God's will and try to do it in their own strength. But what does God say? Not many mighty. Not many noble. Not many of those types of people have been called into the kingdom. Because when a person thinks they can do it in their own strength, they get to glory and not God. God is looking for broken vessels, weak people, people with disabilities, disorders, dyslexia, any other D's out there. He All the D's you got, he's looking for those because when people see the person with the D doing stuff for him, people look at that person with the D and says, what? How could you possibly do that? And that person with the D said, you know what? I have no idea. Glory be to God. Now, the person who's doing their own strength, they'll say, how did you do that? Because, well, this is the five-step process we did in order to do God's will. Just trust this, and oh, you can do it as well. Who is getting the glory? Okay. I know your works. See, I've said before you an open door that no one gets shut for. You have little strength. You're dependent on me. You have kept my word. This is so important. Are we keeping God's word? This this is a reference from John chapter 15. Keep my word. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. It's the secret of, anybody read the secret of the vine book? That's the reference here. You have to be able to do what Jesus says. Do what Jesus says. If we just hear it and not do it, or we just, in a sense, do it and not stay connected to him, we're not abiding in the vine. Our life source only comes we're connected to Jesus Christ. What does connection look like in practical terms? I can, once again, I'll go the relationship between a husband and wife. I always say you can be in a bed with your spouse. You can kiss your spouse. I can make this rated X. But if you're not connected, you can be a thousand miles away, yet still be in their arms. You can be married for years and be lonely. Jesus is saying, abide in me, remain intimate with me, vulnerable, depend on me. These people, this church in Philadelphia have done that. And he's saying, good job. And have not denied my name. Oftentimes we hear the phrase, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And many people say, you just don't say the word J-E-S-U-S flippantly. That's not what taking the Lord's name in vain means. Do you know what taking the Lord's name in vain means? It means you who are called a Christian, or in ancient times a Jew, living a life that doesn't honor God. That's taking God's name in vain. Are you his ambassador? And if so, what are you showing by your lifestyle? Do people see you and say, oh, I know there's a God because of how you live? We just actually had this reference earlier in a meeting this morning. We preach the gospel at all times and necessary. We do what? We use words if we have to. 
Is your life conveying the truths of Jesus Christ? He goes on to say, all these good things, well done. Now he goes on to say, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. What is he communicating there? There's these people. They're not Jewish people. They're Gentiles who claim to be Jews who've kicked them out of the synagogue. This little group of Christians in Philadelphia, a small group of people, they've been kicked out of the synagogue, and that had grievous repercussions to an individual during that day and time. Why? Because only one religion was exempt from worshiping Caesar. And does anyone know what religion that was? Maybe not. It was the Jewish faith. And if your name was written down as a Jewish worshiper, you did not have to place supplications. You didn't have to give alms or burn incense to worship Caesar. You were given a pass. But if your name was not on that book and you were not worshiping Caesar, you would have to face consequences. So to be considered a Christian here was bad. It was horrible because you were no longer a Jewish person. You were kicked out of the synagogue and you were in trouble. To confess Christ during this day and time meant you would lose everything. Your social networks, your family relationships, your dinner partners, your identity, all that was lost because you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Tells who claimed to be Jews who were lying. And he said this, because of your faithfulness, I will make them come and worship at your feet. Now we know he's not saying they're going to worship you because that would be idolatry. And God obviously is not contradicting himself. He's not calling anybody to be idolaters. He's saying there's going to come a time in the future where these people who say that God doesn't love you will realize how much I really do love you. He's going to make them come. And as we are worshiping God, they're going to bow down at your feet and worship God while you're standing up, conveying to everybody how much Jesus Christ loved the church at Philadelphia. Everybody with me? These people said, God doesn't love you. You, you, you people, you Christians, God doesn't love you. You need to come and follow the law. God doesn't love you. Jesus likes stay faithful. Why? Because you've kept my commandment too, and here we go. We preached on this topic for almost six months. Does anybody know what the word persevere means? It ha- somebody gave it up. Who did that? Awesome. It also means endurance. It's the exact same translation. The word in Greek is called hupomone, to bear under. Now look at this. This is where I'm going to close it up here so we can get the points and jump into the communion. It says, because you've kept my command to endure, to remain faithful despite trials, to continue to love me despite disappointments, despite heartache, despite pain, because you remain faithful when things didn't go your way, I will keep you from that trial that's going to come on all the earth. Now, this church is Philadelphia, the friend of God. 
And every time in the Bible God says this person is a friend, God would do something unique to that person. He'd give them a revelation of the future. Abraham was a friend of God, right? And God said, oh, why am I going to destroy this city unless I talk to Abraham? Because I tell my friends what I'm going to do. So what happens here in the book of Revelation is something that doesn't happen to the other five churches so far communicated to. God talks to them about something that's going to happen far in the future. He says, I will keep you from the trial, the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole earth. He's telling them a secret about time. That there's going to, something's going to happen to the entire planet. The whole earth is going to be tested. Now, this is where the topic, and anybody have ever heard it called the rapture? Has anyone heard of the rapture? I'm not going to go too far there today, but he's referencing that you're going to be taken away, pulled out before this great trial or tribulation comes on the planet. Now, the church throughout history has been persecuted. Understand that persecution is not tribulation. Persecution is not tribulation. Got that? Right now, there are more Christians being persecuted than in the human history or all recorded history of the church. There are more Christians dying today than all the centuries before this Christians are dying at record number. That's called persecution. You go to work and they tell you you can't talk about Christ. That's a level of persecution. You get fired because you talk about Jesus Christ. That's persecution. Persecution has a broad spectrum. But tribulation is not persecution. Tribulation is a time specified in the Bible called the day of the Lord. There's more information written about that one day than any other time in all the Bible. And it talks about one thing. God's punishment. And it is conveyed as something so horrific that you would want to die but can't. And that's bad. I can't get too far deep into it, but what he's trying to say is because of your faithfulness, you'll be spared this horrific punishment that's going to come on the entire planet. Now, that's something you should say amen about. I'm not telling you to say amen, but how do you respond to something like that? Wait a minute. What? Punishment? That's what's coming. But because they remain faithful to Jesus, despite him being away, they're okay. I'm going to close here. It says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. He's saying, live well, and somebody finish it for me. Finish strong. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. How many times has Jesus said, my God? Well, the only other time we have in the Bible is when he was on the cross. Look how many times he says, my God, here. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and and the name of the city of my God. New Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one point I want to make here because of time is he says, you'll be a pillar in the temple. And do you not know that we are the temple of God's? God is building a temple. We are the living temple. I'll say we're the fourth temple. I think there's going to be a literal third temple. 
But we're the temple God always wanted. From the very beginning of the tabernacle, through the different temples that were built, all was symbolic of God dwelling in us. That's God's hope from the very beginning. From a tabernacle to the temple to living stones. And God said, these people who remain faithful, he'll make them pillars. What that means is simply this. A column in a temple cannot move. There were a lot of earthquakes in Philadelphia. And if you go there during this day and time, there are still these giant pillars, columns that are standing. They're fixed. And what he's trying to say is eternal intimacy. And I always say it here. He's trying to say he will look in your eyes, stare at you forever. He'll ask you, don't blink. Who are, who's good at that game? Anybody? All right, look at somebody you know. Don't look at somebody you don't know, because I want you to get all intimate with them. Find somebody you know. And look who see who can look at each other's eyes first and, and not blink. Oh, you, you lost. You're over. Who's done? Isn't it like hard to stare? Like, it's intimacy. You don't want somebody to look in your eyes, so you shut them. Don't look at me. Right? It's a shield. Shield up. Uh-oh. He's promising eternal intimacy as you come up with the. We're about to communion, but we've got two points to cover before we go there. Point one, Jesus rewards our faithfulness. When you're married, your spouse rewards your faithfulness. When you're good at school, your teachers reward your faithfulness. This life is about rewards. God is trying to reward us. And our faithfulness is what results in us getting rewards from God. Know that it pleases Jesus that you remain faithful despite adversity. You know, I think it's hard sometimes to stay faithful despite difficult challenges. But that's what this is all about. I came from the church too where you pray hard enough and you shout long enough, you scream long enough, you give enough money, you do all these good things, and then you know what? Hey! Everything's going to go your way. But then I grew up in my faith. I realized that's not how this works. You could be really good. I mean, do you think Jesus was good? And we asked you two weeks ago, who would you want to be in the Bible? Nobody said Jesus. We asked. I said, who would want to pick? Tell me one person you want to be in the Bible. We heard of every name. Nobody said Jesus because Jesus' life was horrible. He was perfect. Remain faithful to Jesus. Your future is tied to your faithfulness in Christ. We need to do it so that we can receive the greatest reward possible from Him. Remember, our faithfulness is about our character, not our competency. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. I give you all my heart.
Breathe 